You found us. Welcome to the Holminster Podcast, a church in the centre of Hull. Your place to worship, enjoy, explore and to belong. If you'd like more information in how you can get involved, visit our website at www.hullminster.org. to be carried wheelbarrowed across the Niagara Falls a crazy thing to do and I'd never encourage us to do that but we are all invited tonight to reflect on whether the faith that we've talked about and that we've sung about whether that um, that faith we have is, is a faith that we're living are we living it out do we have a living faith it's the theme tonight James chapter 2 confronts us with the difference between a dead faith a very dead faith, he's quite blunt about it, and a living, purposeful faith. So I want to highlight three things tonight, three aspects of this this scripture in the book of James as we think about dead and living faith. Firstly, how to recognise the warning signs. Secondly, there's an example of dead faith. And then thirdly, we're going to look at a couple of examples of living faith. And starting with the good news, the good news is tonight we are, I think we are all, well, we are all called, we're challenged, we're invited um, into the fullness of a living faith in Jesus Christ. And we're all at different points in our, in our journeys of faith, exploring what it means to know God. Um, but we can come together, we can be alive in Christ, and we can give the glory back to him. And so we really need to listen to these words from James and, and just weigh them up a bit in our own lives. He starts at the very start of this passage by wanting us to see the problem that Syrah read out to us, to think through the warning signs of a dead faith. Now, I don't know if any of you have watched it. I've been a bit fixed on it the last couple of weeks. The family brain games? No. No one's... We've watched it, yeah. Basically, the family brain games is a BBC programme which... Very simply, as a lot of clever people, a lot of clever families, they get together um, and compete with other clever families and they do a load of challenges and, and this week was the final and we got to sort of see who, who was the cleverest family in Britain as of 2019 if you apply for this specific competition that the BBC put on. Anyway, it was really good and there's one particular challenge that um, I just want to share about. They presented a problem where one person had to move themselves as a human chess piece. To a particular square on the board, the square was revealed to you. Imagine the squares on the floor in front of us, and 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 that was the sort of the, the conquest was was to get to this this square. Um, some people really interestingly jumped in. They said, "No, I know what to do." They jumped in. They began to move very quickly, and of course they couldn't quite go back to where they'd come from because of the, the the way the game was structured. So they'd messed up, and they just couldn't return to where they were. But the most successful people were the families who stopped, they sort of waited, they they read the board, looked at the options, allowed the problem to illuminate in their lives, and then they planned a way forward, and before sort of jumping straight in. The point here, and the link between that game and this passage, is that James wants us, right at the start, to get a hold of the problem, that faith without works is dead. It's, It's blunt about it. And as we see that revealed to us, then we begin to realise the part that we can play in that. We need to see the problem to understand it. 
And James seems quite deeply troubled by the fact that the early church, the people who he was sort of, you know, leading, and they were, you know, they'd only been around a few dozen years, you know, they were already beginning to develop the wrong attitude towards faith. It had become about a verbal profession, about ticking a box, not as a faith that leads to works, that leads to deeds, that leads to actions. And James is challenging us right at the start of the passage that merely an intellectual sort of head decision or an, maybe an inherited family decision to say I'm a, my family background is Christian is actually a dead faith if it doesn't lead to transformation in our hearts. James wants us to see the pain of the problem that we're in. And I guess the, the, arguably the elephant in the room tonight for us, the question is what kind of faith do we have? as we approach this passage, as we approach our lives. And let's remember why James is asking us to consider this. It's because of the importance of what we read, or what what Sarah read in verse 17, that faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. It's dead, completely dead. There is a kind of faith that does not change us, it doesn't lead us to action. It doesn't lead us to do something. He gives the example, doesn't he, about um, not practically helping people, sort of seeing a need and not doing anything about it. And there were many other, other examples that we could, we could give um, where a dead faith never connects people to the God of life, the one who brings life to us. It may inform their mind. It may lead to them making certain sort of religious um, they might speak religious things with their mouths, but it keeps a person dead in faith. And in a sense, that's quite a scary reality on a Sunday, hot, stuffy Sunday night in Holminster to hear that. And I think James has almost done that intentionally to challenge us to look at our lives, to just reflect for a moment. The presence of dead faith is shown by the absence of of a changed life in Jesus. The presence of dead faith is shown by the absence of a changed life in Jesus. Genuine faith, when we encounter genuine faith, it unites us to him, the one who grants the Holy Spirit, the life giver. He will change us externally, observably, visibly. So some of the questions that might be helpful as we as we delve into this passage, to think about at the start, what would Would you, in, I don't know, say your workplace or in your, in your home communities, are you, are you confident in speaking about Jesus? Just, would, you ha- would you be willing to speak about Jesus? Do you want to listen to the word of God? Do you want to read the word of God? Do you want to meet together with his people? The fact we're here together as, as church is a great sign of that, as a gathered community. Are we, are you becoming more like him? I'll confess, I stand at the front, but I'll put my hands up. I am not perfect. We will never be perfect. The the sort of standard of comparison is not perfectionism. We'll never be perfect in our sort of earthly lives. We'll never be perfect this side of heaven. But what are the desires of our hearts? What are the little changes, the positive changes that add up to genuine faith? The things that will change us. 
So if we just think back momentarily, just the last week, and Frank, Bishop Frank was with us. Um, he, he helped us to um, unpack part of chapter one. That challenge that we can fall into being people who hear but aren't doers. Those deeds, those actions, the things we do are perhaps not the basis of our acceptance before God, but they are actually the evidence. Do others see the evidence of Christ at work in our lives? The Spirit's transformational work in our lives? I find that a really challenging question for me and something that maybe we need to reflect on. But we are called to live out our faith, to show others Jesus Christ. What's internal, we've just sung it, from the inside, what's internal needs to become external, needs to come out. What's invisible needs to become visible to make an impact. So, after that challenge, and it is quite an almighty challenge from James, understandably, when we read the rest of the passage, the temptation is to listen a little bit defensively. I wonder if you're a defensive person. I'm certainly a defensive person. At times, I find it hard to be told I'm wrong. Maybe you can relate to that. And if you're not, I'm sure you can picture somebody who is defensive in your life. Somebody who maybe stops listening when you begin to challenge them or criticise them. Perhaps you struggle to be criticised yourself. Or you build up a defence in your mind when people begin to criticise you. Or perhaps, as it was for those who were listening to James when, when, he, when he said these words, when, when, the, these, when he challenged the, the, the early church, when they began to respond defensively in the next verse, perhaps you're also tempted to be really defensive right now. And that's okay. But the challenge is to stop and listen to James because actually it's an invitation to change and to grow. So secondly, let's look at this example of dead faith. The first half of verse 18, we read, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Let's understand their objection, their sort of defensiveness. You can imagine them sat there thinking, but surely it's okay for us all to be a bit different. We've all got a different part to play in the church. Someone else might be thinking, we don't need to be identical, do we? They've maybe heard the, the message that Christians don't have all the same spiritual gifts. That God gives different people different gifts. And perhaps that's your gift, James, and not mine. Your gift to do the actions and the deeds. There are other people in the church to do that, thank you very much. Therefore, it's okay for me or for, for some Christians to have a faith that seems in itself much more private. It can still be real, but much more private. Others will do the action. And then you look at James's response. Again, wonderful James, very practical, very blunt. Basically, that they've misunderstood what Christianity is all about completely. He says, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe there is one God. Good, great. You get it. But so do demons. Even the demons believe that, and the demons shudder. Now, this is a reminder to us, I think, that belief in a God doesn't actually save anyone. Even the demons believe that. That's dead faith. 
What's required is to, a movement from belief in a God to embracing Jesus as our friend, but also as a personal saviour, as our Lord. And as you read that, when I first read that, I've been reading it a few times over and over this week, thinking, surely there's a different angle. Each time I sort of get a punch in the stomach. I don't know quite about you, but there's this sort of, just almost a moment where you just want to take a breath, you know, in this point in the passage. You know, we're a few verses in, and it's just like, James is hitting some really hard realities at this point. But he's doing it for our good. He's doing it for the good of God's kingdom. And as we listen to James's challenge, through that, we can be led to being people, to, to, sorry, we can be led to, to those around us, to people around us. As we listen to people around us, we listen to their needs, don't we? We see their needs. We love into their needs. There's so many opportunities to pray into their needs. Whether you're at work, whether you're studying, whatever tomorrow looks like, there's loads of opportunity to be praying into people's needs. To reveal the goodness of a relationship with God. To show them actually Christianity is not just ticking a box. It's about embracing a living faith. Jesus actually said it himself. If you, if you want the words, Jesus put it really simply in, in Matthew, in chapter 5. He said this, let your light shine before others. Let your light shine before others. So that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We were having a bit of a heated debate about something this week in church. And somebody turned around to me and said, the purpose of this building is to glorify God. And it's true, isn't it? The purpose of us as the church as well, as people, God's people, is to glorify our Father. So thirdly, let's explore the positive, the examples of a living faith. Two people are mentioned by James, Abraham and Rahab. Two totally different extremes in terms of people. Abraham was one of the sort of key ancestors of the Jewish people. And then there's Rahab, who was uh, a non-Jewish prostitute. She's from the Old Testament, who had a living faith that we're exploring tonight. If we look first at Abraham, what we can learn from that is in verse 21. Verse 21 says this, Was not our father Abraham considered righteous, for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. Now, if you've, if you've been reading around the, the Bible, if you, if you know Romans, this, this might come a bit of a shock to you when you read this, when, when you hear what Paul has written, particularly in Romans. James is saying here that you're justified by your works. And yet we've read in the book of Romans, Paul's saying that you're justified by your faith alone and not works. It's really important that we sort of square this one off because this is a key point in Scripture. Well, we, I think we can, when we sort of zoom out and we sort of step back and we, and we, and we put the Bible into context, and as, as Christians we believe it's God-breathed, we believe that the words are as God intended, that there are no contradictions, no mistakes. Although it may seem so on first reading, as we begin to focus in on what's being said, it's actually more about the way um, that they're using the word justified. So in the book of Romans, if we, if we look at what Paul is talking about as, as righteousness that's given to you, righteousness that's given personally, on the cross, poured out, 
on credit. You've not earned it, but the righteousness of God, which is given to you through the person of Jesus. By faith, not works. And then James here is talking about a righteousness that's lived out, a righteousness that is produced by works, by demonstrating what God has done for you, by turning that faith that we, that we sung about being on the inside, turning that out, showing our faith to the world. And what James says refers all the way back to Genesis chapter 22, right at the start of the Bible, the first book of the Bible, Genesis 22, when God tested the genuine nature of Abraham's faith. And he quotes uh, from Genesis 15 in, in the next verse. He says, um, it's, you know, when it's, it, it clearly says that Abraham believed. Abraham believed God was credited to him as righteousness. And Abraham was called God's friend. Abraham showed he had faith by doing what God said. His deeds are not the basis for his just, of, of his justification. They're just the evidence for it. So when James, in verse 24, he says that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone, he doesn't mean that somehow we sort of secure our acceptance before God by what we do. He doesn't mean that at all. I think what he means here is Jesus has secured everything, everything is done for us on that cross. We get access to Jesus by faith. And how we know that faith is real and not just religious words, religious rituals is that living faith has changed our life. I'm reminded of a phrase, I heard it years ago, a phrase that says, you may be the only Bible somebody reads. The way we live out our lives, the way that our lives have been changed and being changed by Jesus points others to Jesus. You may be the only Bible somebody reads. And I think that couldn't be more true today, you know, in the, in the world that we're living in. So many people are so far from a place of, of exploring faith, of a place of coming to church. Just this afternoon I was chatting to someone at a barbecue and, and she was saying that that she, she supports the church by sort of keeping the, 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 her local village church going, by financially supporting it. And she's doing her bit. And she probably is, but the roof might be being kept on. And that's, that's, a, that's an important bit of fabric. But actually, what is she knowing of Jesus when she's doing that? There'll be other people, perhaps, who we're praying for her, journeying with her. And we can be those people. We may be the only Bible somebody reads this week. Then finally, in this passage, James talks about Rahab, doesn't he? He brings up the prostitute, Rahab. You could argue it's the opposite end of the sort of religious spectrum from Abraham. Well, we read about her in the book of Joshua, when she hid some of the Israelite spies from capture. She wasn't an Israelite herself. She was very much a prostitute, but she was a prostitute who had a living faith. We know this because of her actions. What can we learn from her? Well, I think her and, and Abraham, their examples are, are showing that faith and deeds, faith and works, are inseparable in this story of Christianity, in this story of a living faith in Jesus. That true faith will change any life. 
whether you're an Abraham or a Rahab, living faith changes lives. So I think it brings us right back to the beginning, the challenge from James, to not be defensive in assessing whether we are people who have living faith, but to question, do you maybe need to, do we need to move forward in putting our personal trust in the power of Jesus and the works, the exciting, joyful works of his Holy Spirit? And if you do see signs of change in your life, let's give thanks for the change and let's expect more change to come. Well, we hope you've enjoyed listening to one of our sermons. If you'd like to learn more about what we do, then follow us on social media or visit our website, www.holminster.org.